Good morning. Don't be trying to sell insurance or anything during this time. Well, it's good to be together as the body of Christ here at Community as we drive onto this campus. We have this great privilege every week to remember, to remember what is life about. And we started a series in Ecclesiastes. If you had not been here last week, I would encourage you to go online and to review. We set up a lot of the historical context and how Solomon is uh, writing this book. Just for a couple of you, though, for review, I, I want to make a couple things clear. Solomon writes the book of Ecclesiastes, but he has uh, written two other books. One was the Song of Solomon. We find out from historians that that would be the earliest book he wrote. The book of Song of Solomon or Song of Songs uh, is a book about lovers pursuing one another. The beautiful part of this is it's a metaphor about how God pursues us, and so we find that Solomon uh, is really just expressing that love relationship, not only with the woman that he's longing for, but also that picture of how God pursues us. Later on in his life, though, he will write about 3,000 Proverbs. It's the book of Proverbs. And while there are a few other Proverbs written by others, uh, we find that, that Solomon, his life now moves from just the emotional kind of that teenage years, to very pragmatic. All right, there's a cause and effect in life, and if you do these things, this is what you end up with. And very black and white picture of lots of good wisdom and truth. But we find that ourselves reading Ecclesiastes, and here's Solomon now defeated in a sense of having an inner dialogue. It says that he, the teacher, as the book will talk about, is himself talking and debating with himself because life doesn't work out all that you plan. Life doesn't necessarily look like a really nice proverb that when you work hard, this works out. When you love Jesus, this works out. And so he is struggling to find the meaning of life. He's struggling to find that peace and happiness. Solomon, uh, we, we find, has... Wealth like none other. He has wisdom that came from God. We found last week in 1 Kings that, he, remember at a young age, he asked God for help. He was now the ruler of Israel and said, I need help. I, I can't do this. I need wisdom. God's so impressed by his asking for wisdom and not wealth and, and power and of this type of authority that God not only gives him wisdom, he doesn't give him godly wisdom. He gives him the wisdom to rule the land, to rule the nation. He becomes a great ruler. Because of that, though, God says, I'm going to also give you wealth. You didn't ask for it. I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you so much that you could ever imagine. So here's Solomon sitting in a time in history that he has more than anyone could ever imagine. We could argue and say that Solomon has had the chance to live out every type of road that we think might bring happiness. That's really the question that Ecclesiastes poses. Are you happy? Do you have peace and happiness in your life? I would wager to say many of us continue to find uh, to, or pursuing ways to, to make ourselves happy. Now, this is not new, right? 
We are continually, as a culture and as a world, just clamoring for ways to be happy. In fact, through film, we find movies are, are stories, sometimes of tragedy, but often uh, of happiness. You know, plays, art, all that is an expression of someone's pursuit to find happiness, especially in music, right? Now, I'm going to kind of do an age survey here. I'm going to do it through music. If you recognize this song, I want you to stand to your feet, all right? Now, if you recognize this song, I, want, I just want to see how many of you, this might have been a song that you remember. Come on, stand up if you remember. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of confession right now. Yeah, easy. Some of you are going to try to dance, right? There you go. This, the lyrics are disturbing. Do you know what the lyrics are? If you want to be happy the rest of your life, find an ugly wife. I don't know. That is disturbing. How about this song? All the hippies stand. I do not want to know what you were smoking when you were the turtles. <laughs> Some people are dancing. Oh, this is scary. People online are freaked out right now, by the way. All right, that was 67, the turtles. How about this one? Oh, yeah, some of you already know, right? You got to stand up. Come on, you remember this? Chuck is into it. Oh, yeah. This is a great song, the lyrics. My mom played this so much, I don't like it. I mean, I like Jesus, I just, I'm not really into the song. How about this one? Yeah? And you haven't, and you haven't stood for any songs. And you haven't stood up for any song. Are you waiting for the, the young song, right? That's when you're gonna stand up, okay. All right, how about this one for those of you, huh? Now we can dance. Uh-huh. Chuck, you're not standing up for this one. Yeah. This is a great tune. All right, enough of that. We're all trying to find happiness in some level, and really this morning, just to have a little fun with the music, it's okay. It's really okay for us as Christ followers, as Christians, to be happy, to look for that sense of what brings happiness in a life. I can illustrate a little bit of this pursuit of trying to experiment to try to find happiness. This is exactly what Solomon's going to do in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He's going to say, I'm going to test, make, in other words, say experiments, take experiments on to find some happiness. And so this is a picture of me in 1974. Uh, I've been a Christian for about three years. I'm 10 years old here. You can tell this is me from the muscle structure that's beginning to form, <laughs> the, the washboard abs that are starting to just, this is young Hercules right here. The hairstyle is epic, I'm telling you. There you go. 
But I remember recess. And in California, you have a lot of recess time because weather is typically very generous. But I remember recess because recess was the place where men were born. Men were formed and born and just grew up men. Now, I'm only 10 years old, but it didn't matter. And I remember handball and kickball and and tetherball to where your hand would be swollen at the end of the day. I remember that. I remember you couldn't hit the tetherball. If you hit the bracket, you really would mess up your hand. But I remember watching, and as I was a quiet kid and a pretty timid kid, I'd watch kind of the relationships, and I noticed something. There were, there were great warriors on the recess field, these, these men, that when struck with the ball at their face, they would all of a sudden get a bloody nose, and I could just see, they just, you know, it's like slow motion. A bloody nose and still fight on through that tetherball game or that handball game. I could, just, I could just feel that, and it was like, whoa. Just, there's, there's something about that. What I also noticed, though, was the women of, of this great land in the recess field because they just swooned as that boy would just, and, he, and they're like, oh. <laughs> and I, I remember, I honestly remember this. I'm not making this up. I felt like, oh, I want a bloody nose. <laughs> I want that attention. And I remember contemplating just how hard would a ball have to hit me in the face? Could I, could I somehow intentionally and look by accident, you know, this ball hitting my face and get that bloody nose and get that acceptance and that love and that sense of happiness? You see that? So I remember feeding the horses one day, and I used to give alfalfa tablets to the horses. We, we had a long list of horses, and so... I had this big pail, and my strong arms at that point would hold this bucket. And as I emptied it and was walking back to the house, great wisdom like from Solomon came to me. And I thought I could experiment right now and figure out how hard I'd have to hit my nose in order for a bloody nose to have happen. And so I flipped that pail over, that aluminum pail, and bam! This is your pastor. (laughs) Not much has changed. (laughs) I remember getting a bloody nose and then realizing this experiment has failed. There is no one here. I don't think I ever got a bloody nose again. As we laugh at that, isn't it true there are a lot of us in life trying to experiment to find happiness. This is right where we find ourselves in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon is saying, I'm going to test out everything. I'm going to try everything in life to see if it brings happiness. And this is exactly what we still do today. And as crazy it is, as a young boy hitting his head or his nose and, and trying to find that attention to find some sense of happiness You and I still do this today. Our kids are trying to find happiness. Now, the pursuit of happiness is not a negative thing. In fact, it's something very real and very human for us to do. But it's something that we should be cautious about. 
our makeup is basically a, a diagram here is our, our makeup is made up really of four different quadrants what make us up, a spiritual reality of who we are, our souls. There's a physical reality, our bodies, and our bodies want rest and it wants food. There's an emotional part of it, of us. There's gladness that we, we want to feel glad and happy. We want to feel those emotions. And there's an intellectual part of us that we want to know and we want to have life figured out. Because of this, I, I want you to understand that when we look at our lives, there are a lot of experiences that we're going to have in our lives. Some of those experiments in life, those experiences, were done to us, and they were horrible. It could be some of you in this room that experienced horrible things where life, in lack of a better term, experimented on you, and you find yourself still reeling from that. But often, it's our own experiment. And we experiment in many of these different areas that we can put more up from work to stuff, buying things, to relationships, to sex, to money, to events, that next big thing, to food, and just name it. There, there are many experiences in this life that a lot of people try to find a sense of happiness. The problem comes in is when we experience some of these things in, in our experiments, we start to put something in the center that everything else shapes around that. And so what happens is, let's say you have a very good feeling about a relationship you're in. You know the relationship is outside of the context of what the scripture says sexually. But the feeling you get with that person is so right and that love is so right, what you do is you put the emotion of that feeling in the center and you write a theology. You write your worldview and how God and life works around it. You form a religion and a faith around it. This happens in our physical lives. If you're a person who's experimented maybe chemically with things, but it doesn't just have to be chemicals, it could be food. I, Damien's wife, Melissa, she makes these cookies that are short of evil or cocaine because they're, they're, they're not good for you. I'm just telling you. Oh, but they're so good. And what's these things, she'll hand you the bag and you're thinking, crud, I'm done. Because my body's saying yes. At breakfast, at lunch, at dinner, they work at all times. Doesn't matter. And there's this pull, right? It could be something in your physical life, whether it's sexually, whether it's a chemical, something that your body longs for. Paul will address this. He'll talk about, I beat my body and make it my slave. That, that isn't supposed to be some sadistic, weird, gross picture of what Paul's doing. He's saying, I want you to understand, I know my body wants things that they can't have. It can't have it. And I'm going to make sure it knows it's not the leader in my life. Don't we all feel pull in some level to some of the physical draw? It could be intellect. I know many people that have found themselves putting their minds and their knowledge in front, in the center of their thinking about God. Their experiment is to read philosophy and to, to be the skeptic and to be the one that's intellectual and 
The irony is that they're the one for the first time in the history of creation to have God figured out and wrap their own theology and their own thinking about God. How foolish that is. The, the problem can become when we start to think about the experiments that happen in our lives, if those things start to push intellect, the physical world, or our emotions as the center, we write a form of God or theology that's incorrect. Paul will talk about this. It says in Romans chapter 1, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed that to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. They knew God, but they wandered. We've used, we've used that term. They became a prodigal. They, they've walked away from their faith. It's another uh, a way for us to describe this would be is to say that they, they are in an experiment phase. They're now experimenting with something that they're trying to use to make them happy. Paul continues, Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for degrading their bo- of their bodies with one another. They became a culture that was run physically and emotionally about whatever their body wants. And there's a whole culture in our world that just says, whatever feels good, do it. This could not be farther from the truth of our Bibles. And we find that many people have a form of God and faith that's distorted because of some of the pain and some of what they've experienced in their life. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is uh, forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Experimenting long enough, your thinking becomes distorted. Solomon, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, you're going to enter into the debate, this personal debate with Solomon, and he, he sounds crazy. He sounds a little bit wacky because he's, he's really been the most hedonistic uh, of all time. He's, he's had the opportunity to, to have whatever he wants you're going to see. And yet, he, he still can't find meaning. And yet, he still has the wisdom that God gave him. And so he's not. Sometimes people can lose their minds and they're doing stupid things. Solomon knows what he's doing. So they became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. So the picture this morning, and I know I'm setting you up to talk about the text, but I also want you to understand is that the goal in our lives as Christ followers, as disciples of Jesus, is to have the Spirit in the center Our spiritual lives should be centered. That means everything else, no matter what our bodies want, we read the truth and say our spirit should be leading us, guiding us. Galatians 5, Paul again says, but I say walk by the spirit 
do not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. Paul is saying it this way. Stop experimenting and letting other experiences and parts of your being rule your life. The only one that should be centered is Jesus himself, your spirit, the spiritual life. I'm sure you could survey this morning and think about people that are experimenting, right? Maybe people that you know and love. Maybe you yourself this morning, because you're looking for happiness. Our struggle this morning in our application might be in this quote here uh, from Erwin McManus. I was just listening to a great message on worship, but he said, many people say they believe in God, but many don't trust him. In other words, I have a lot of people that say, I know God, I'm a Christian, I love God, but they don't trust him to be the center. They're walking with with pails trying to experiment and as dumb as that was for a 10-year-old boy to, to do, as adults it seems like we continue to do the same thing. Whether through all the different experiences of life, of money, of having a bigger house, a better job, more sex, better partner, all the different things and we try to reshape who God is in order to make us happy. This sets us up this morning to read sections from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon, again, chapter 1, is talking about his wisdom. He's talking about knowledge. He moves into this idea now of pleasure. Verse 1 says, I said to myself, come now and I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. He's talking to himself. I'm going to self let you experience every pleasure possible. But that also proved to be meaningless, he says. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly or foolishness. And he makes sure he puts that statement in here, but my mind was still guiding me with wisdom. In other words, he, he wasn't in a stupor of idiocy and stepping into places not knowing that. He knew very well what he was doing. I'm going to try wine for a while. I'm going to try laughter for a while. Look what else he'll try. I undertook great projects. I built great houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, planted all kinds of fruit trees in them, made reservoirs. He buys male and female slaves and had other slaves born in his house. He owns more herds and flocks than anybody else ever in Jerusalem. He amasses silver and gold. Uh, more than that, treasure than any other king had at that time. I acquired male and female singers. So this is interesting. Think about this. He can have anything he wants. Could you imagine, how many people stood up for the turtles? Just kind of raise your hand. Can you imagine if they were in your home, they live with you, and every day, so happy together, right? You heard it. You could have anybody in your home to give you the music, right? You know, this is what Solomon has. Solomon has the, the music. He tries down that music experiment. He has a harem as well. 
They say about a thousand wives and 300 mistresses. So the delights of a man's heart sexually. He goes down that road. I became greater by far than anyone else in Jerusalem. And in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. He's telling us he wasn't stupid. He had a rational perspective of, I'm going to try the harem thing for a while. I'm going to try to build everything and see if I feel happiness. Sometimes we wonder why Ecclesiastes was written. I wonder if it was giving us the picture that all the things we experiment with, he's already tried. There's one who's gone before that's smarter than all of us in this room and tried it all and still said, meaningless. Verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired and I refused my heart no pleasure. Think about that for a moment. If you had the opportunity to give yourself anything you saw or desired, do you think you'd destroy yourself? I'll confess I would. I would, be, I would, I would destroy myself. And we see that in culture. We see that in music industry. We see that in in anybody that's put up too quickly in, our, in the athletic realm, in government, when, the, when we're allowed to experiment and have anything we want, we destroy ourselves. Verse 11, when I served Dave, all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Here's a man that's... A, built anything that would rival anything we've done ever in this room. Amazing structures that still stand today. Not happy. He turned his thoughts to consider his wisdom, and his wisdom obviously is like none other. But listen to verse 13. I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The eyes, or the wise have eyes in their heads, while the fool's walk in darkness, but I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. You can have an IQ that's off the charts. You could be a person that's struggling to pass your GED. And still, that's not the answer to happiness on either side. The same fate. Life deals you the same reality. Solomon is struggling in this inner debate. You can continue to read this, and maybe you've pre-read this, but I would encourage you to read it this week. Just to read it, in some ways, feels like a dark reading of someone that's about to even end their own life. The fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? This too is meaningless. He continues on. Verse 17, so I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. Then he goes into this whole discord, I've, I've done all this, verse 18, I must leave them to the one who comes after me. He'll go into, I'm despaired because I don't even know who that next person is, and if they'll take care of what I've done. So even the idea of leaving a legacy, right? We've talked about that. What's going to make me happy is if I can leave a legacy, and I can you know, build the house of my dreams and then hand it off to my kids, or, or have that cabin, whatever that might be, and I think we begin to put those things right in the middle as if that's going to bring us happiness. Verse 21, for a person may labor with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and then they all must leave it, all they own to another, 
who has not toiled for it. Again, he's struggling here. A person can do nothing better than to eat and to drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. He starts to actually come out of it a little bit and talk a little bit about how God's just in charge. He kind of lands there. This too I see is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat or find enjoyment. Interesting enough, this whole chapter is Solomon's struggle. Solomon's struggle and his inner dialogue about his experimenting with the things of life. Interesting enough, in the words of Augur, this is a, a proverb that Solomon did not write, but Augur. Now, if you're having soon to have a child, I would, as a pastor, just say Augur is a good name for a linebacker. Um, I don't think it would work for a girl, but for a boy it might. The words of Augur says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. What is this breathing? This is breathing. It's a beautiful wisdom about contentment. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may, became, or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. What great words. That the experiments... And having them or not having them, it's like the, the writer is saying to us, God, give me what I need today so that I may keep you in the middle, in the center. Paul will address this in Philippians 4. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul's saying, I'm, I've kept God in the middle and I've learned to be content. A beautiful description of the definition of content from this Greek word, is an independent strength from depending on outside circumstances. An independent strength from outside circumstances. In other words, they don't, he doesn't need the experiment. He doesn't need the experiment. He knows what he needs. And so everything outside of that is not what's going to bring him happiness. There's a Greek word in the New Testament that Jesus will use in his first message in Matthew chapter 5. It's called makarios. You read it, it says, blessed. Blessed are those who. It's not meant to say, hey, you as disciples of Jesus should go do those things so that you find happiness. It says when someone keeps God in the center and their whole worldview is formed from their spiritual life being in charge, they find blessedness. Makarios is the same word that they would use to describe Greek mythological gods having an inward happiness and peace that was not affected by any of the world's experiments around them. Makarios, contentment, blessedness. The question for you this morning is are you content? 
Or are you finding yourself this morning in an experiment? In an experiment in a relationship because just it feels so right. Yet it's so opposite of what God wants for you. Are you finding yourself in some sort of an addiction? Because momentarily it numbs the pain or it it gives you some sense of numbness so you don't have to think about things. And you know it's just an experiment that's short-lived. Is it work? You just, you're all about building and more and more and more and more and more. Is, is it the family? Yeah. We can make family stuff such the priority in our lives. And those are good things. And family are very important. It's a, it's a structure that God's given us to, to teach and to mentor and to have community. But when it becomes the center... It's another experiment. Are you in an experiment this morning? We're going to go to communion this morning, and the word for this uh, is a word that's used in the, in the New Testament called Eucharisto. And it has reference to the Lord's Supper. And so in Luke, when Jesus does this, it says that he gave thanks. He gave Thanks. It's Eucharisto. And what's so powerful about this word is, is as we enter into communion every week as a church, we will do baptism uh, every so often, and then we, we regularly do communion. We want you to remember. But it says that Jesus himself took the cup and the bread and gave thanks. So what's interesting about this word, the, one of the root words in, in the middle of this about the Lord's Supper, about this giving thanks, is charis, which means grace. We had a whole series about grace. Entering into communion is this thankfulness about the grace given to you. You don't do communion for God. So you aren't doing communion to check off a religious list to say, God, I'm doing you a favor this morning. I'm remembering you. No, you are entering in overwhelmed and thankful that he is the center and he gave you grace through his son, Jesus Christ. In this word charis, it comes out of another derivative, which is chara, which means joy. It brings joy to enter into. It brings happiness. It brings an an inner blessedness that you can't find in any experiment. We have the chance to enter into communion every week to remember the joy of having a God that loves us so much. Love this quote, God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in him. An expression of your worship is when you are, are thankful and satisfied. You're content with the Father. When you find yourself content in every other experiment, while it may be good and some of those things are okay, they're not the center. This morning, I want to give you a bit of a warning about communion. 1 Corinthians 
Paul says this, every time you taste this bread, every time you place this cup to your mouth as you drink, you're declaring the Lord's death, an ultimate expression of his faithfulness and love until he comes again. So if someone takes this bread and drinks from this Lord's cup improperly, as you are doing, he is guilty of violating the body and blood of our Lord. Examine yourselves first. He's saying, if you don't know God, this is not a religious ticking the box and saying, I've checked this off. No, do not do it. And if you are not examined in your own soul about, do you have him center? Or are you living an experiment? Don't, don't go up to communion halfway. Living in an experiment of something else and saying, well, I believe in you, God, but I'm not going to trust you. No, Eucharisto means you enter communion with a great thankfulness. You examine your heart, and you know what you're doing? You're doing what these kids did. I just want to be like Jesus. I, lo- I love that, that sign. It's pointed to the hand, the nail marks in his hand, and it sent Jesus. May we as a church, as we enter into communion this morning, have great joy and contentment. No matter the experiment, saying I'm finding that being like Jesus is the center. That's the place I find real joy. I give you a chance this morning uh, to confess and to move forward. And let's do some examining right now. I want to pray over you, and we did it in the first service, I'm going to do it again. If you're living in an experiment right now, and you know it, it could be in the area of some addiction, it could be a relationship, and it's outside of what God desires for you, and God is not center. Will you stand? Because I, I want you to identify the experiment. You stand up if you're living in an experiment right now, and you know it's not what's going to bring you happiness, but you keep pursuing it. It could be money could be that thing, that event, something that you're waiting for. could be the, 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 the relationship you want. could be the next paycheck. It could be that you're addicted to something and you can't break it. You realize you're caught in an experiment. Like Solomon, you finding it's meaningless. And so the scripture says that, as in James says, that we're to confess that. It's the first step of examining our hearts. And when you confess it, you're making a proclamation that I no longer want to live in the experiment. God, I need help. I'm going to encourage those of you standing that you do ask someone else. You may need to clarify the person you're with. Here's why I stood. Here's the experiment I'm in. I need help. And you might need help getting out of the experiments you're in. This morning you stand, though, in victory that you don't clean up for God. You only confess, as Solomon did at a very young age, I am unable to live the way you've called me to live. I need Jesus. I want to be just like Jesus. Father, we pray as we move into the Eucharist, the chance to give not only thanks, but to embrace the grace that you offer through your son Jesus. Might we find joy and contentment. In Jesus' name, amen.